Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, joining me today. I hope you've had a good day so far. If you're just climbing into your car and heading home, I am so glad we can uh, be together for this uh, this commute, this drive home. You know, it seems like traffic's gotten terrible all the time. I remember there was a time I always felt I could get anywhere in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area in about 20 minutes. Now it seems like it's 40 or 45. So if you've got extra commute time, I'm glad we can be together because there's going to be uh, some wonderful uh, talk this hour with uh, Oz Guinness. He's going to be joining me, hopefully. I know he's uh, calling in. We're just waiting for his call. And then I had a lovely conversation with Barb Bruce, and we're going to be uh, talking to her as well. She's written a book called I'm Waiting, God, Finding Blessings in God's Delays. And it's a a really interesting uh, Bible study that I think you could be able to really sink your teeth into. She's written a couple of books, um, Winning the Worry Battle. So she really addresses this head on. And if you're finding that you are in that period of life where you're sort of waiting to hear from God, this would be a a good good interview to hear. So that's all coming up in this hour. Uh, We are going to take a little break here, but I want to give you a passage from 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll take a short break and be back. Reminding us where our hope is found. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is Faith Radio. Connecting your faith to your everyday life. There's nothing I don't appreciate about it. Um, I started listening to the Faith Radio almost exclusively a few years ago because I just love the teaching. Just the truth of God's Word. Everything is just so, so sweet to listen to. The teachings, it just really motivates you and keeps you coming back for more. We're growing together. On Faith Radio. I'm always delighted to be uh, inviting back to the program Barb Roos. She's an author and speaker, and she's written a book called I'm Waiting God, Finding Blessings in God's Delays. And I think that probably speaks to everybody. We have wondered when God has not answered our prayer or we're waiting on an answer, how we do in that uh, stage of life. Usually it's uh, a struggle, and Barb's here to help us process some of that. Barb, welcome back to the show. Well, Bill, I am so glad to be talking with you again. Thank you. You know, I've got this theory about when we can't solve our problems, 
uh, like the adult that we are, whatever age we are, we always start reverting backwards. So if I can't solve my problem like a 55-year-old, I'll go back to when I was 45. And if that doesn't work, I'll go back to 35. And if that doesn't work, I'll go back to 25. Eventually, I'll be five and I'll be throwing a tantrum. You know what? That is actually a very brilliant observation. I, I love that. Um, and for me, I kind of feel really akin to the toddler tantrum. Mm-hmm. It's just that feeling of I'm not getting what I want, and if I have to wait too long for it, I'm just going to fall out in the floor. <laughs> and, uh, right. Yeah. It's frustrating, though, isn't it, when you're like, why isn't God moving on this? Well, you start to think um... – if God doesn't answer, I'm, I'm disappointed. Have I made him mad? Um, does he not love me? I mean, you go, go through all kinds of crazy, crazy thoughts in your head. Oh, totally. And I have wrestled with those thoughts over the years. Did God forget about me, especially when it looks like everyone around me is getting their prayers answered? Um, does he love me? And like you said, did I make him mad? What if the answer is no? How do I move on? These are all hard questions that we all have to deal with. And uh, if we don't really lean into God's heart, uh, these are questions that can mess us up, slow us down, or even get us stuck. Yeah. Now, can you give us like something from your life where you were waiting out God's timing, but it just felt like it was forever? Oh, yes. And I think folks (laughs) might resonate with it. Uh, There was one instance I was working full time at my church or part time at my church for years. And uh, when our youngest daughter went to school, I was like, I should go to work full time. Uh, At the time, we had three kids in Christian school. That was our family's conviction. But Christian school was twice the cost of our mortgage. (laughs) And uh, so uh, that was a pricey. And so I was praying. Well, the Great Recession really devastated our automotive-bound community. And so even though I was offered a full-time job, because of the recession, that meant that uh, many people in our church lost their jobs, which meant that our weekly giving was down. And so I remember my senior pastor calling me one day, and he was just devastated. And they had to lay off people at church, and he just said, we cannot have you go full-time. And if you've ever, if you're listening today, and there's been a financial upset, and you've been praying over it, and you're like, God, you can, but why haven't you? Mm. I remember being in that spot. And I mean, I had prayed for years for a full-time job. And every time I went to pay the bills and I wasn't working full time and every time I had to say no to my kids, every time we had to sit up late nights and try to figure out how to make money out of nothing, I remember just being angry. And yet during that season, I realized that God was sustaining us, even though that prayer wasn't answered. And then it was about a year later, not only did I end up out of the blue with a full-time job, but it was a promotion on top of that. But I had to go through that long season of stepping back and realizing that God was taking care of me, even though I wasn't getting what I thought I wanted. You know, and then, Barb, to make things worse, we sort of, because of technology, we create technology, then it turns around and recreates us. But now we can get whatever we want instantly, whether it be an entire season of a TV show or I remember putting a, a, a letter in the mail first-class stamp. And I thought, well, it'll get there in a couple of days. Now, if we don't respond to a text within five minutes, people think we're ignoring them. Right. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Don't we, don't, we, <laughs> don't we find ourselves applying some of that thought process to God? 
Oh, goodness gracious, yes. And for me, I love looking at Bible stories because we think that it's a problem with us now. But being impatient, this pushing to get what we want, it's been happening for a while. I mean, I think about Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. God had promised them that they would have descendants as numerous as the stars. And then it looked like it was never going to happen. And uh, in my Bible study, I write that impatience did result in a baby. Like they found a plan. (laughs) They, They did all the things. But when we're impatient, one of the prices that we have to pay is often it messes up our human relationships. And for me, that has been one of the greatest lessons that I've learned. When I'm impatient, it often comes at the expense of the people that I love. God's like, you know what, if you would just hold off and wait on my timing, but when I start pushing, that is going to pressure people. It's going to make people feel like I'm trying to control them. And so God, he really wants us to step back and go, there are just some things that it's going to take time. And we've got to trust in his timing, not just for us, but also for the people we love. Mm -hmm. And Barb, your book, I'm Waiting God, Finding Blessings in God's Delays, It's really this lovely four-week Bible study, which I have to say is very brilliant on your part, because everybody can do a four-week something. Yes. Oh, I love how you said that. We all can. And there is this beautiful place where stopping and listening to God's heart teaches us about that he wants our best. And then learning from others. Uh, sometimes uh, one of my favorite sayings is uh, the best experience is other people's experience. Right. So we get to look, at, we get to look at the stories of Hannah and Ruth and Naomi, the woman in the New Testament who suffered with the bleeding condition for 12 years, and then as well as Martha's conversations with Jesus after her brother dies. Mm-hmm. So the combination of what are God's timeless truths and what can we learn from others? Putting ourselves in a posture of learning from though in that format, it can transform us so that we can have confidence that God is on the job and he's watching out for us. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of little illustrations, but this one stuck with me years and years ago where you, where you are, one door has closed and another one has not yet opened. So essentially you're in this dark hallway with the one door behind you having closed and the other one in front of you having not opened yet. So you're in a dark place, and God is so interested in what you do in that time, how much you're going to trust him. And that is where everything lands at. Yes. How much will we trust God? Uh, A key part of my life story and what drove this Bible study was there was an addiction issue in my home for a decade. And I prayed, I fasted every week, and I knew that God had the power to eliminate a family member's addiction. I knew that God could instantly, but he didn't. And so it was a very long and dark hallway for over a decade. And the cost to our family was tremendous. The heartbreak was incredible. But it is God's promises that illuminate every place of darkness in our lives. And so the Bible study is all about understanding how do we walk and live in God's promises. And for me, one of the things that I share that literally brought me life during 10 hard years, and our story did not have a happy ending, but God gave us hope in the midst. 
but I call it the God morning, God night technique. So every morning, most every morning, I would repeat five promises of God to myself before I opened up my eyes, before I got out of the bed to face a lot of hard things during the day. And I share that technique in the study, but it is God's promises that will light our way in a very dark world. I love that. So, Barb, what is your counsel, especially to women, because I know you do a lot of ministry with women who are sort of grappling with maybe years and years of unanswered prayers? Ooh, I uh, I have lived there with you. And okay. so first I want to say, I want to say to a woman out there um, and anyone that you are seeing, that you are loved, that God has not forgotten about you, that God's hope and his promises and his provision, they are all fully yours, and an amen is stamped on it. And then second is don't go through it alone. If you have been keeping silent because there's some kind of shame attached to your unanswered prayer, I would encourage you to reach out to a trusted friend and be honest about what's happening in your life. If you've got to email me at barb at com, uh, please do so. And then third is uh, get the Bible study. Um, I'm not promoting the Bible study because I need you to buy my Bible study, but what I want you to do is know that there are so many promises of God that he wants you to know. He wants you to live in peace and hope and life and joy, even in the midst of your hard situation. Uh, I'm so encouraged. Barb, let me take a little break. Barb Bruce is my guest, and her book is I'm Waiting, God, Finding Blessings in God's Delays. We will take a short break, and I promise we'll be right back. to have on our studio line Barb Bruce. She's written a book called I'm Waiting God, Finding Blessings in God's Delays. And oh boy, that her su- her subject represents all of us because we have all been in a, in a season of life or maybe it's been going on for a decade where or three decades where you're waiting for a prayer to get answered and you keep petitioning God and you start to wonder why God, why not an answer? I'm I'm so fervent in my prayer. How about how about right now is as as a, a t- great time to answer my prayer and that the prayer still doesn't come and I always go back to Psalm 46:10 be patient and know that I'm God I have to realize that you know God's timing is is so perfect and it's never mine. Ooh, that is good stuff and the hardest part is holding on to that every day and mm-hmm. so we were talking about God's promises a moment ago the that God morning, God night technique for me, like the that. discipline of repeating five promises of God. And it all started with uh, just writing it down. And if somebody thinks that this is interesting, uh, Google promises of God, get a piece of paper, write down five promises of God, put them in your bathroom next to your mirror. And when you brush your teeth every morning, we should brush our teeth every day, read those promises. And then at the end of the day, because we brush our teeth twice a day, you read those promises again. And God's word, it is sharp enough. It is powerful enough. It is enough to keep you going 
in the midst of the hard and the heartbreaking, because God, he cannot lie. He has the power and the provision to get you through what you don't think that you're going to get through. So if I sound passionate about God's promises, it's because they're the one thing that has given me hope and peace in my life. Mm -hmm. So Barb, what happens if you've waited for a a long time and you start to feel, and I'm going to use this word and I'm a little I'm not liking this word, but the word is bitter. You start to feel a little bitter. The bitterness is that feeling of why hasn't God done this for me? Yes, exactly. And the second week of the Bible study, we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi. Both women experience a hard and heartbreaking event. Both lose their husbands. And Naomi comes right out. She's like, God's going to stop it. He didn't. And so she felt that God's hand was turned against her. And then Ruth, though, Ruth decides that she is going to take a different approach. She's going to leave what she knows and go to the place of God's blessing. And all of us have that choice. We can be bitter or we can be better. Bitter is the road that believes that God is the cause for our heartache, and better is the road that believes God will be faithful. And so one of the elements that I talk through is just the role of gratitude the each day of the study, there's a place to write something that you're thankful to God for. And if you find yourself in that bitter place, gratitude, one at a time, is how you make your way off of the bitter road back to the better road. Simply giving thanks to God at least once a day, because bitterness is no fun. Yeah. I mean, who wants to live bitter? And sometimes it just becomes a broken record in our lives, but gratitude as Ann Voskamp said, is the birthplace of joy. So begin giving thanks. Even if it's just that you're breathing, just begin giving thanks. Yeah, Barb, when you were in that time, that waiting time, I bet you learned a lot about God's grace. Oh, yes. Yeah. And yes, (laughs) yes. It becomes such an overwhelming thing because when we're waiting, it's easy for us to get nitpicky. Like, I don't know about you, but when you're waiting and you're not getting what you want, some of that tantrum is to cross your arms and go, you know what, God, I'm not going to church. You didn't give me what I wanted. Mm -hmm. You know what, God, I'm not going to (laughs) pray. You didn't give me what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And and yet, uh, grace is this humility that... God still gives us, even though we don't deserve. And I, for me, grace has been that place where I go, God, I've, if you give me nothing else, you showed your love for me by sending Jesus to die for me. And every day I get to wake up with the assurance that your promises are real for me and that, um, that I'm not perfect and that I can spend my time Instead of waiting for you, I spend my time worshiping you. Mm-hmm. And Barb, I know you've got stories, either personal ones or ones you've collected in writing this book, where the prayer finally got answered and was so above and beyond what the person could have ever imagined that the waiting was always like, well, it didn't matter because of what God brought into my life. Yeah, I call that the better blessings. Uh, We like to quantify blessings in the tangible, but the better blessings, um, there are... There are so many things that God gives us that we need more than the things. So Jesus said that we were to store up treasures in heaven where nothing can get to. So for me, the our family situation had a difficult and sad ending. Um, it caused our family to fall apart. 
But yet the better blessings that God gave me were his deep conviction of courage and strength, the better blessings of hope and forgiveness, gratitude, joy, purpose, commitment, humility, all of these better blessings, I get to carry them with me and they can't be stolen from me. And God, he does that in all of our lives, that he teaches us and gives us more than what we think that we've lost. And yet, we also know that loss is real, that pain is real. And so uh, one of my favorite verses is Joel 2.2, that, uh, that I believe that one day that God will restore that which the locusts have eaten, that God will repay us for the things in our lives that he said, you know, this is not the best for you, but if you hold on, there is something better I have waiting for you. Mm-hmm. I love some of the waiting room applications you have in your book. Uh, For an example, when you feel far away from Jesus, inch your way back to him by giving thanks and recalling God's promises. There's immediate steps you can take instantly, isn't there, Barb? There are. Uh, that first one we talked about already is gratitude. Mm-hmm. To uh, that, The patient's path is this, uh, it's not a formula, but it's uh, essentially a journey. So the first is to give thanks, gratitude. The second is repeating God's promises, so that God morning, God night. The third part of it is perspective. Instead of saying, oh, I'm waiting on God to, to say, I'm worshiping God for. That's huge change in perspective. And then practicing. Uh, practicing is how we every day go, we're just going to make a commitment to keep getting better. And so at imwaitingstudy.com, I've got some great tools to help you practice. I've got tools for parents to teach their kids and uh, so that we can practice worshiping God while we're in the waiting room. Mm -hmm. What about letting go of some dreams that are kind of dead and trusting that God will plant new ones? This is the hardest part of it because God's promises are true, but some of those promises are not for this life. And Mm -hmm. so very quickly, if you are someone who are listening and God has said, no, that he, there are other promises. There's a, there's a tool that I use called my annual funeral. And this is a letting go. It's basically first it's being real, take off the mask before God acknowledge, acknowledge the pain of what's been lost. The second is write down write it all down, the disappointments, unmet expectations, anger, and third is release. Open your hands, some things you may have to bury, but to release it so that God can plant something else that you're not carrying around dead hopes and dreams. And so during the Bible study, I kind of format out how to have that annual funeral. That's a practical, practical way for you to let go of things that aren't going to happen in your life. Barb, in our remaining couple of minutes, can you give maybe a piece of encouragement to someone who's listening right now thinking, boy, she's talking about me. I'm in kind of this intense period of waiting and I'm going a little crazy. Well, if I am talking to you today, I am so glad that you listened into our conversation. And Bill, thanks again for having me. And uh, friends, the thing I want you to know, actually three things. The first is, you are doing the very best that you can today. Even if you feel like you're messing up, that's all right. Hang in there. You're doing the best that you can. The second is keep holding on each day that you're given. God, he is with you. He is for you. Keep looking toward him. And then third, that I hope you believe that God has more for you because God has put more in you. Wherever you're at today, that is not the end of your story. Err on the side of faith 
and believe that God is working in you. And you may not understand the picture, but hold on to his promises every single day. Amen. Barb, this has been awesome. Barb Bruce has been my guest. And again, her book is I'm Waiting God, Finding Blessing in God's Delays. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. My guest is Oz Guinness. He's going to be coming to Sioux Falls the following week. So on October 8th, he's going to be presenting at Jeschke Auditorium on USF's campus on Tuesday, October 8th at 7 p.m. It's going to be consist of a presentation by him, followed by Q&A, centering on the topic of civility in the public square, how to get along despite our deep differences. Oz has written many books and about 10 years ago, he wrote a book on the case for civility, which means he was a visionary because now we're in need of his wisdom. And uh, Oz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. Pleasure to be on with you. Yeah. Now, obviously, you were a visionary. You were writing about this a decade ago. Well, actually, long before that, too. Oh, cool, of course. The, the Williamsburg Charter, that was 30 years ago. But you can see the importance when words break down, violence is never far away. And you can see increasingly words are breaking down in America. And as Christians, followers of Jesus, we have tremendous stakes in this. So when you talk about words breaking down, and I couldn't agree more, uh, what are some words that you have seen uh, completely break down? Well, you can take both sides. I mean, just to pick on one, but (laughs) there are many others too. If you just put together all the Hollywood and the film stars critiques of Trump, right? you know, starting with the severed head and things like that, there's been enough violence verbally and a irresponsibility that is absolutely disgraceful and exceedingly dangerous. Now, they're not the only ones, but for me, they've been the worst. And they sit on the sidelines and make these comments, which are incredibly irresponsible. But that's just one example. Mm-hmm. And as you just see it getting progressively worse and worse, and how are we going to turn this around? How are we going to ever get along despite our, our deep differences? Well, Bill, um, I'm going to be talking that night on that issue, and I, I've thought a lot about that, and I'll put out some ideas there. But for me, if you look at the wider scene politically, the real problem, you know well, say, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul says to the Galatians, who's bewitched you? You're following another gospel, mm-hmm. not the real gospel. Well, I often say, and here I am as a European Englishman living in Washington, I, I say, in effect, I don't actually use these words, to Americans, who's bewitched you? You are following another revolution. Because if you look at many of the ideas going through America today, you know, political correctness, tribal politics, identity politics, the sexual revolution, currently the rage for socialism, postmodernism, all these things, they all go back not to 1776 and the American Revolution, but to 1789 and ideas that have come down from the French Revolution. And the trouble is that compared with the 1850s, when America was similarly deeply divided, in the 1850s, there was a Lincoln. And he addressed what he called the better angels of the American character and the American experiment. No one's doing that today. 
In other words, there's no one saying these ideas are from a different revolution. We believe in another revolution altogether, and who's to defend it? I think mm. incredibly important moment. Americans are shifting, and the result will be a disaster, not just for civility, but for freedom and for America as a whole. Yeah, indeed. You know, Oz, it's uh, ironic that in our time right now, we're, we've never been more uh, connected globally, yet we feel more divided than ever. So what is creating this isolation? Well, when people talk about uh, globalism, you've got to remember two things are happening at once. The overall process is what's called globalization. The interconnection, which is now a truly at a global level, instant interconnection across the world. But that's creating globalism those who believe in a philosophy, you always have to think at that sort of grand level. And it's created, on the other hand, a backlash of populism. Now, the globalists don't recognize that they're an extreme too. And so they blame the populists for all the problems. But actually, we've got to see that two things are happening at once. And we've got to work out how you live in a world like the world we're living in. And it's a challenge. You know, Bill, if you look at history, there are always two great bookends authoritarianism and anarchy. One is order without freedom. The other is freedom without any order. And you can see that authoritarianism is doing extremely well. Say, take China, North Korea, many, many other countries. And you can see the chaos of freedom in Europe and here increasingly in America. We're shifting towards the anarchy. And the real challenge is how do we live with an ordered liberty? That's actually at the heart of the book of Exodus. And so the American Revolution, I don't know if you realize, was based on the Book of Exodus. The Constitution, as a notion, comes from the Hebrew term for covenant. And we've got to go back to some of the great first principles in the American Revolution, which were in danger of abandoning. Hmm. You know, Oz, have we uh, lost the capability of being uh, civil, or have we raised up a generation where they maybe didn't learn civility because they 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 grew up on the internet where you get on and you respond to somebody or you engage with somebody at the meanest level you can no exactly the social media have been a really aggravating factor but there are others but the thing is we have followers of jesus christians we have a stake we believe in truth we're told to love our enemies and you can see there are a hundred reasons in the scriptures why Civility is an important term, but it's not the Christian term. We have far, far deeper ideas of truth and love and respect and so on. So even if the whole of America goes a different way, followers of Jesus got to stand against this and show a better way. It can still be done. The tragedy is when Christians sink to the level of the surrounding culture, too. Indeed. So when you give these presentations and you give your talk um, on the deep divide in in civility, what kind of pushback do you get from some of the people that come and hear your lecture? Um, It depends. You can see, for example, for 300 years, America was the leading country supporting freedom of conscience, religious liberty, and so on. But there have been significant changes in the last 20 years, bigger changes in 20 years than the previous 300. One of them is what I call rebranding. 
Mm. Instead of religious freedom being a positive first principle, the first freedom, as the founders saw it, it's now code word for bigotry, prejudice. Now, that's an absolute disaster. And so I debate with various people on the progressive left. They don't realize that like liberalism as a whole, they're cutting off the branch in which they're sitting. In other words, what they're doing is stifling dissent and conscientious objection and flattening everything out into a uniformity that fits their style in a totalitarian way. And that's exceedingly dangerous in the long run for them too. So we've got to argue against them, but with love, respect, persuasion. And unless we prevail, American freedom is finished. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to talk more about that. Some of the, just the cultural self-destruction that's going on, is it is it from uh, politics? Is it where does all this come from? Well, not politics. You know, the first thing that it, it, there's an old maxim: the first thing to say about politics is that politics is not the first thing. What you see, for instance, in the Old Testament is not a welfare state; it's a welfare society. They have a covenant and relationships socially hundreds of years before they have a king. And you can see that politics should always be considered downstream. So take take something practical, Bill, like, say, the horror of the American gun massacres. You know, liberals immediately say, there's the constant. Every time there's a massacre, there's a gun, which, of course, is true. Uh, Now increasing, there are knives. But what they forget is every time there's a massacre, there's not only a gun, there's a loner. In other words, an alienated individual with ideas of hatred or vengeance or whatever, taking it out on his neighbors and his community. In other words, America's deepest problem is relational. Mm-hmm. Christians should be good at speaking to that. Oh, I couldn't we agree. We should be good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Oz. So what are some shared values we need as a foundation in order to have civility? <laughs> Well, they all sound like cliches if you just they, spout them off in a row. But <laughs> they do. The first, one of, the first one, of course, is truth. Mm-hmm. Christians should only ever speak the truth. And you know well that in the postmodern idea, when truth is dead, you have power. And when everything's power, the strong win and the weak go to the wall. And that's where we are now. Truth doesn't matter. I mean, you have the current impeachment based on hearsay. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But that's where we are. You can see it's all a matter of power. So Christians, we want to restore truth. But then again, another thing is what you call in secular terms respect. In other words, respect for freedom of conscience. In Christian terms, you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes beyond the Old Testament and says, love your enemies, which is incredible. And we've got to do that. And as Martin Luther King and Lincoln himself used to say, that's the only way you can turn an enemy into a friend, by loving them, and so on. We've got to rediscover many of these deep biblical truths and make them practical and be known for it and not known. You know, you can think of often a lot of Christian rhetoric is over the top and indistinguishable from hate. Mm-hmm. So I'm just looking at truth, respect, and being loving, is that how Christians lead on this subject? Is that what we do to lead? Well, well those are some of the Christian responses, particularly right. the first principles. But we've, we've got to stand for the First Amendment. 
what does the First Amendment mean? In other words, this is a global problem. Mm-hmm. How do we live with our deepest differences? You know, in my field, which is social sciences, there's a little saying, everyone is now everywhere. In other words, the old Christian consensus has gone. And public life is much more secular, and private life is much more diverse. And so just as Christians in the Roman Empire, you know, they were used to rubbing shoulders with people of a hundred different religions, polytheism. And whereas today, many Christians are not used to that. That requires persuasion, the old term apologetics, for example. So there's lots of things we need to rediscover, but we need to reestablish what it means to have the freedom of the public square. I, I will be arguing on uh, Tuesday night that freedom of conscience is the inner forum. Got to be free there. Mm-hmm. But the public square, the public square is the outer forum. So we've got to be able to, you know, stand back against political correctness, which is, you know, canceling culture and deplatforming and all the stuff which doesn't allow people to speak. We believe in an open, free public square. So there are lots of things ranging from the First Amendment to specifically Christian principles. Yeah, as I'd love for you to comment on the cancel culture. That seems like one of the craziest things ever. Well, I virtually have. And you see, all of these things have come from the progressive secular left whose ideas flow from the French Revolution. Mm. And so you're basically stopping other people speaking about what they believe, and then eventually you'll stop them trying to believe what they believe. And that is absolutely deadly. And we can see Brave New World, 1984, books like this in the 1940s, which predicted that sort of totalitarianism. But what no one saw, it would come from America the land of the free. Right. And that's the irony and that's the horror because American free never perfect. Think of slavery. And we're paying for those hypocrisies and contradictions. Never perfect. But the American Revolution was the closest to the scriptures because it came from the Reformation. And if that we know it had the most realistic view of freedom. If American freedom goes well, not just America's in trouble, it'd be a very sad for the whole world because it is the most deep and realistic view of freedom that there is. Mm-hmm. So the stakes, the stakes are high. We're speaking to Oz Guinness and to all of you listeners in the Sioux Falls area. He'll be there Tuesday at 7 p.m. at the Jeschke Auditorium on USF's campus. There will be a presentation uh, followed with Q&A centering on the topic of civility in the public square, how to get along despite our deep differences. It's going to be a fantastic night. We'll take a short break and be back with Oz in just a minute. My guest is Oz Guinness. He'll be presenting next Tuesday, October 8th, 7 p.m. on the USF campus at Injeshki Auditorium. 
And I believe that is open to the public, and this is a free event, and it's really geared towards students, but it'll be open to all ages who are interested in attending. Now, as you've been writing about this for so long, um, you've you've had your you, you've been casting a very large vision for decades, and so have we reached the tipping point on this, or do we have further to go? <laughs> Interesting question, Bill. Only the Lord knows that. Yeah. Um, but we, humanly speaking, we are pretty close to the tipping point, as you put it. We're close to the the Rubicon, as the Romans would put it. Uh, you know, people ask me when we're talking about the two revolutions and so on, if there were a Lincoln, would American would Americans wake up and listen to him? And that's, of course, I, I can't answer that. I hope there'd be sufficient resonance still. Um, but even that, the state of things in the country, the poverty of history, the poverty of education, and the levels of anger and suspicion as such, that there aren't very many people listening to much that's rational these days. Yeah, it's it is um, it's a very scary thought, Oz. I mean, it's your your point in your book, your presentation you're giving it could it could not be any more timely than right now. Well, I think so. We're at a very important moment. I often feel here in Washington, I'm just whistling into the wind. But nothing one does before the Lord is wasted. And so one, you know, I keep on, and many others do too. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about American liberty and freedom? Uh, I mean, how close do you think we are to seeing a, a collapse like we've never seen before? Very, very close. Ooh. I was hoping you weren't going to very, say that. Very, very close. No, yeah. I mean, you look, it, it take three very simple things that underlie freedom. One is you've got to have a basis, theological, philosophical, or whatever. There is no basis outside the Bible for the idea that humans are free. Right. Jews and Christians are the great champions and defenders of that. Atheists can't. You look at someone like Sam Harris, the new atheist, freedom is a fiction. It's an illusion front cover of his book is of a puppet tangling on strings. You know, so the basis of freedom is gone. But secondly, freedom re requires a framework. That's the whole notion of covenantalism, freedom within a framework. And that's collapsed today. Libertarianism, do what you like. Get the government off my back. Conservatives mean a bank balance. Liberals mean off my body. But it's all a negative freedom but it's just running riot. It's unrealistic. Then the third thing you need desperately, you can see in the Old Testament and down through history, is transmission. Free societies need to be handed on in every generation, as does faith. And you can see that the handing on in America used to be done in the public schools, civic education. And that was thrown out at the end of the 1960s. And now, apart from the private schools, there's almost no civic education. So as one great American scholar says, still relatively easy to become an American, mm. get your naturalization papers and so on, but increasingly hard to know what it is to be American. I mean, take Bill, take the kneeling crisis, Colin Kaepernick and so on. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King addressed evils, terribly evil, but in the light of what he called the promissory note of the Declaration. The Declaration promised freedom and justice to everybody, but it wasn't cashed in. Kaepernick and the Black Lives Matter people 
they are disrespecting the note, the standard, the declaration itself, and that is radical. It is. Oz, what do you think of the, um, just what's going on at the education level at, at a university level? I know you'll be speaking at a university, so as far as the professors and, and what, what these students are learning and almost the way they're being indoctrinated. Well, you know, Bill, I first came to the U.S. in 1968 as a tourist, six weeks. I didn't come to South Dakota. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> but I went from the East Coast to the West Coast. And, you know, a hundred cities were burning that year in protest. Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, both assassinated. But despite all of that, the radicals knew they were failing. And so in 67, 68, they called for a long march through the institutions. I don't know if you heard that word. In other words, regroup and gain control of the colleges and universities, the press and the media, and the world of Hollywood and entertainment, and then you can win the culture, not through open radical protest, but rather through the ideas institutions. And 50 years later, they've done it. Yeah. And many American universities are stifling free speech in ways that are utterly, utterly appalling. Mm-hmm. So, Oz, when you came to visit America back then, where, did you, where were you living at the time? Well, my family is Irish. As I knew that. You know, I come from the uh, Guinness family. Of course. The little yes. brew. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, I was born in China when my parents were medical missionaries. So 70 years ago this year, I remember my dad saying to me, son, we're in trouble. Chiang Kai-shek has just flown to Taiwan. In other words, he, he abandoned the capital and in came the communist army, the Red Army. And the revolution wow. is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. Wow. So I came back from China and uh, was educated in England. I actually came to this country in 68 from Switzerland. I lived there for a few years, but mainly from England. So I'm getting the idea that you're probably a high school kid at the end of World War II living in China. And uh, No, smaller than that. Smaller than that, yeah, okay. Yeah, i got to do the math in my head. I'm terrible younger at math. <laughs> well, so you're younger than that, yeah. and I'm coming up to the conclusion that then you probably grew up fast, didn't you? Well, I, I grew up realistically, put it that okay. way. Okay, all right. You know, we I was born in World War II. The Japanese killed 17 million wow. in their invasion of China. Wow. And we we lived in a north-central China where I was born. And at one stage, there was a famine. And in three months, five million people died, sadly, including my two brothers. So... Then I lived to see the climax of the Chinese Revolution. So my parents were without a fear, totally without a fear. But they did bring me up with an open-eyed realism about human nature and the challenges of uh, sustaining freedom. That's an amazing story. And your parents were both medical missionaries in China. Well, my mother was actually the surgeon. My father was just a plain teacher. My grandfather was one of the, my mother's, no, my father's father, um, was one of the first Western doctors in China, started the hospital and treated the imperial family. Wow. Wow. And then you're, you are the great, great, great grandson of the founder of Guinness Beer, right? That's right. My ancestor, Arthur Guinness, whose signature is on the back of the bottle, uh-huh. a rather elaborate signature, 
he came to faith through John Wesley in the wow. Irish revival. And uh, he, you know, he followed John Wesley, earn all you can, save all you can, uh, give all you can. And he built in generosity to the family business from the beginning. So he always paid slightly above average and gave the workers health care, education, sports clubs, and things like that that no one else did in the 18th century. So I'm, I'm very proud of the, the way those Christian principles shaped the business from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So when you're in Dublin and uh, you've got dinner reservations, is it kind of fun to drop <laughs> that, that name when you're making reservations? <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> one time I went to Dublin, I was in a cab going into town, and when the cab driver somehow heard my name, he, he half-jokingly stopped the cab, came round to the passenger side, and with an elaborate flourish, kissed my hand. He said, <laughs> I'm half-joking, as if I was the Pope. He said, I'm half-joking, but I'm half-serious. Your family has done so much for my family. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I thought it was because he, he liked the beer, the beer so much. <laughs> oh, uh, that too, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Oz, uh, thank you for the, the talk, and thank you for uh, being with me. And uh, again, just to let our listeners know, uh, next Tuesday, October 8th, 7 p.m. at uh, Jeschke Auditorium on USF's campus, you will get a opportunity to hear Oz Guinness present uh, on the topic of civility in the public square, how to get along despite our deep differences. There'll be Q&A. The event is free. Oz, have a wonderful time in Sioux Falls. Thank you. I've never been to Sioux Falls, and I'm looking forward to coming immensely. Thanks, Bill. Awesome. Thank you. Oz Guinness has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. I just want to thank everyone for uh, being on the show. It's been a wonderful day. I hope you've had a good day. And if you're just uh, driving home, I uh, hope that uh, you've got a nice big smile on your face when you walk into the house and you can feel that you've been refreshed and that God has encouraged you and the Lord has uh, given you the, the sustaining power you need to do what you have to do, what he's asked you to do. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.